This is the London Live Podcast. Listen live weekdays from 1 to 3 on 980 CFPL. Just like there are things that fit within the pandemic, there are things that don't. And there are words that are very good during a pandemic. Reminders like we just heard to wash your hands, stay physically distanced, wear a mask. We've heard those over and over, and I know it becomes kind of tiring after a while, but it's like practice in sports. We talk about it. Why do teams practice? Because... You develop bad habits if you don't. You have to keep that muscle memory going. So those reminders need to come. So those words are there. We need them. Wash your hands. Physically distance. Wear a mask. There are other words that you cannot use during 2020. You realize this. You know what one of those top words that you cannot use in 2020 is? Toga! You can't say that. Don't don't even think that, and certainly do not plan that, unless you are having a solo toga party. And they aren't that much fun. In fact, in the winter, they can be quite breezy. So don't say toga. In fact, don't have a house party. Just hold off for a while. But certainly there is concern as students come back that house parties may take place. So if you are somebody that lives beside a place that eventually has a house party and you want to say yeah this this is annoying me my house is vibrating and i want it to stop uh, how do you handle that and what conversations have police had with fanshawe and western in preparation for the return of students and really what are the rules for house parties let's deal with all of those things right now courtesy of constable sandashabau with london police service Constable Bow, thanks so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me. I promise not to scream toga anymore, because I know it frightens people. Certainly would, would probably, you know, the police would hear that, and they wouldn't be frightened, but they certainly would kind of turn their head to the side and say, what are you doing? So let's talk about rules for house parties now that students are arriving back in London. What sorts of things exist in the way of, say, fines or or when charges can be laid? Well, that's a great question. And nothing's changed with respect to that uh, from last year to this, aside from the pandemic. So our officers will be issuing the usual fines in relation to noise uh, and nuisance parties. Now, those fines could be anywhere from $215 to $1,130. It's really important to note that there are different charges under the nuisance party bylaw as well. And you can face charges in relation to hosting, organizing, or even attending a nuisance party. Really? Attending? Okay, so that is uh, that is a good note to make. So you don't have to be hosting. You can just be attending, and you can fall underneath the umbrella of charges that can be laid. And then we talked yesterday with Dave O'Brien about the fact that the city has the opportunity to get involved in this and lay fines as well under bylaws. So we've got to remember that. Uh, Constable Bow, let's talk about 911, because... Every once in a while, we'll get all of the ridiculous reasons that people have called 911. And you want to make sure that if you're doing it, you're doing it for the right reason. And you would think, well, somebody having a party next door, is that really a 911? So what should people do to report a party so that we don't get inundated with calls? Well, I can say it definitely depends on the situation. And every situation is different. 
So with respect to parties or loud noise in general, citizens should use the non-emergency number, which is 519-661-5670 to report any parties, any loud noise, um, as it's not considered an emergency. But if for any reason you believe that there is an emergency situation, we always encourage you to dial 911. Okay. But otherwise, I mean, if it's just, hey, people keep walking into this house, you need police to know, call the 661-5670 number, and that's available on on the London Police Service website as well, very easy to find, and you just report it there. Definitely. Okay. And then I guess as a third question and a final question, we have students that come in each and every year, and they are new students, and they get a whole lot of education in the course of the year, but they get a whole lot of education about the community in the first week or two. What kinds of conversations have police had with Western and Fanshawe to kind of prepare for the return of students during a pandemic? Well, as we've had in the past, members of the London Police Service have had discussions with Western, Fanshawe, as well as other stakeholders within the City of London in relation to the return of students and any safety concerns. And this year is definitely very different from years past because of COVID-19. And while we're hoping that students are responsible and follow all health precautions with respect to the current pandemic, we really want to remind them that if there is a large unsanctioned gathering, our officers will be prepared to respond. As always, public safety remains our number one priority, and we're really concerned with not only the individuals who may be in attendance at these types of gatherings, but also others within the community. Gotcha. Well, Constable Bow, thank you for the rundown on questions that we've been wondering about. You've given us great answers, and we'll move forward, and, and we'll throw that word hope out there that we hope everybody does what they're supposed to do. Hopefully this is still fairly short-term, and eventually we can find that normal side of life again. But for now, we'll uh, we'll keep it toned down, we'll, we'll keep it a little bit quieter, and we'll ride this one out. Constable Bow, thank you for the time. Have a great rest of the day. Thank you. You as well. That is Constable Sandasha Bow of London Police Service. So, yeah, 911 for an emergency for sure. But if you are just kind of looking and saying because you don't want to be a snitch, nobody likes that, but there's got to be a difference. We've got to have a difference between that whole connotation of snitching and, hey, we're all trying to get through this here. There's a difference, right? So you're not snitching on somebody, but you're looking and going, yeah, but come on, you guys are putting a whole lot of people in danger by meeting up. And we had a great conversation yesterday with Ryan Imgrund, who is a biostatistician in healthcare. And one of the things that he looked at, and he actually commended this area for how we've been doing in southwestern Ontario, in Middlesex, London, and the fact that if you have let's say, 10 people get together, then the odds of you encountering somebody and contracting COVID-19 is very low, really low. You can up that to 20, 30, and again, it's, it remains low. It's not zero. So if you want to make sure it's zero, don't get into those groups and stay physically distanced and all that stuff. But it still does rise, and you still have a pretty great chance the higher the number goes up. And he made that point, that it doesn't even have to rise that high, and you're going to have a shot at encountering somebody 
who is carrying the virus, has the virus, and gives you an opportunity to contract it. And so it can't be called snitching. We can't have that stereotype or we can't have that stigma about looking and saying, yeah, there go a 100 people into that house and they're jumping around and nobody's wearing masks and they're having a good time. Boy, yeah, wish I was one of them. You don't want to snitch on them, but again, you do. You want to look out for the rest of the community because if 18 people walk out of that house with COVID-19 and 12 of them go to the grocery store and four of them, you know, go off and sneeze on somebody somewhere or have a conversation with somebody or go home and infect their parents or their roommates or whoever it is, we've got a major problem on the hand. We've talked a lot about not having to use the field hospital. Seriously, we don't want to use it. It still exists at Western Fair. Um, Shane had asked, what is considered a loud party? That's a good question. And Shane, unfortunately, I didn't, I didn't grab that email before it came in, but I will shoot Constable Bow a note and I will get an answer for you as to what is considered a loud party. Because that's another point. You are able to, if you are physically distanced, have people in your backyard. And if you put people in your backyard, and even though we're supposed to stay in our 10-person bubbles, even 10 people in a backyard, that can be noisy. So does that rise above the decibel level? Do you have to have the speakers turned up to 11 because it's one louder? I don't know. I don't think so. But Shane, I will get an answer for you to that. We talk a lot about what researchers are doing, because we're very interested in that, especially now. There are so many different things that come up on a regular basis, even outside of a pandemic. But during a pandemic, hey, you hearing anything? They found anything? Is there a treatment? Vaccine? Those sorts of things are asked on a fairly regular basis. But what we don't necessarily get an opportunity to do is... Talk to the people in behind all of that research. Find out a little bit more about them and some of their work. And Dr. Mark Daly is somebody who's been doing an awful lot of work as a researcher at Western University on the Lawson Health Research Institute. And we're lucky enough to have him here with us right now. Dr. Daly, thanks so much for taking some time for us. Thank you for having me on the show. We're going to talk, of course, AI and, and machine learning work, but let's just talk a little bit about how your life has changed. You would have been moving along, doing all kinds of things, and then all of a sudden a pandemic comes up. It is declared by the World Health Organization. How quickly did the focus of what you were doing take a turn? Very quickly. So uh, my collaborator, Doug Fraser, who's sort of the, the leader of the team here at, uh, at Western, uh, reached out you know, v- very early on in March and said, look, we're starting to get these patients and, and we've got some research questions. Are you interested in participating? And of course, when, when you have the skills to help society during a pandemic, the answer is yes. Yeah. And that's just it. I mean, it's it's kind of like the calling together of superheroes in whatever movie it is where you get the call and yeah, I'm I'm in. So what were the first steps to figuring out even what to do? So, you know, I, I like the superhero analogy, not because I think we're superheroes, but because 
the good superhero movies are all about teams, right? The Avengers. Yeah. And the success here was, was Doug bringing together an interdisciplinary team. So the, the team as a group could decide what are our objectives, what kind of data can we get, uh, how can we look at it, and then how do we make sense of it? And it was really that, that coming together of multiple perspectives and, and experts that made this all possible. Wow. Okay. So you get the call, you kind of get the direction. What happens to the work that you had been doing? Is it easy to reach up and push a big pause button? Or did this kind of mean you did two things at once? It, it means doing many things at once, but, but I'm blessed with having uh, fantastic trainees in my research group. And uh, undergraduate student, Maitre Patel, uh, jumped on board immediately and said, I'm willing to help with this, and, and was critical to getting a lot of the analyses done. We're talking with Dr. Mark Daly, looking behind the scenes at, sure, some of the research that is being done, but just the lives of some of the researchers who are devoting a lot of time and all their energy to getting something done so that we can get the ship of the world righted again. Dr. Daly is a researcher at Western University and Lawson Health Research Institute. Dr. Daly, what does a day look like? Is it filled with more research or more work than it regularly would be? So there, there is no regular day right, right now. Uh, actually, during the pandemic, I, I interviewed for, for a new job, and uh, I am now vice president research at CIFAR, which used to be the Canadian Institute for Advanced Research, uh, an organization that sort of shares my values of bringing together the, the best and brightest in interdisciplinary research. And so I, I still have the lab at Western, and I'm at Western one day a week, but uh, four days a week, I'm with CIFAR. I spent a lot of time on Zoom <laughs> and on teleconferences. Uh, being onboarded to a new organization during a pandemic remotely is uh, is a new experience for me. But uh, the, the team there have been fantastic and made me feel really welcome. And uh, I'm excited to, to have an impact beyond just my, my own little research lab. Take us through your schooling. When did you decide to pursue what it is that you do now? <laughs> I, I, I left high school and I went to the Berklee College of Music in Boston because I wanted to be a professional musician. And uh, I failed at that and re realized that, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a nerd at heart and I missed mathematics. So I went back to study computer science and math and uh, thought I'd get a job after that. But I uh, was really fortunate to have a, a fantastic prof in third year who exposed me to research and that sort of set the course for the rest of my life. I, I became very interested in research and saw this as a way that I can give back to a society that's been really good to me. How great is that? And this is an example that so many students need to hear where, because they're told at 15, 16, you've got to decide what it is you want to do and that's what you're going to do. And so many of them say, I have no idea what I want to do. Maybe I want to do this. And it's it's never... It's never out of the realm of possibility to say, you know, maybe this isn't working, and you go in a completely different direction. You're talking two completely different directions, music <laughs> and math. They share the same letter to start, but that's about it. <laughs> what I would say to those students is, I'm 45, and I still don't know what I want to be when I grow up, and, and I'm okay with that because you know, your, your decisions around careers should be made based on your personal values, not, not based on one particular objective, because the world changes. And if you, if you want to serve the world, you have to change too. 
Well said. Dr. Mark Daly joining us, researcher at Western University and the Lawson Health Research Institute. So you got into computer science and math, and you got in at a pretty good time because artificial intelligence has been a big part of things. Machine learning work has been a big part of things. So tell us a little bit about what you work on. For sure. And, of course, this is also part of what attracted me to CIFAR. They lead the pan-Canadian AI strategy. Uh, so the, the opportunity to participate at uh, at that level is really exciting. My, my own research in the AI and ML area, there's sort of two strains. One is fundamental. Uh, I, I have a team who are working on really understanding the mathematics of why machine learning works as well as it does, because it does work surprisingly well. And the other piece is applied, where, where we look at what, the most interesting and pressing problems are in the world and apply the, the the little bits of knowledge that we have. And so the COVID-19 work is definitely an example of that. And in terms of what you've seen since turning to COVID-19 work, do you ever come upon eureka moments? Or I don't know what a moderate eureka moment would be, but a, an aha a a moment maybe? Absolutely. Anytime you take biomedical data, which is complex and noisy and difficult, and uh, and you're able to get an insight out of it, it's always an aha moment. And especially in the context of a global pandemic where where there's a sense that every small piece of knowledge that we, we contribute to the global effort has a Im- positive impact uh, across the world, that, that's, uh, that's a really, really rewarding part of the research process. So... What are you working on right now that we can kind of follow and say, aha, ourselves, I remember hearing Dr. Daly talk about that. So we're, we're, we're continuing to, to look at what's happening in, in the blood of patients with COVID, and we're looking at sort of the byproducts uh, of metabolism. And so, you know, we've shown that you can tell if someone has COVID or not. Uh, we, we've used similar techniques to identify what might be causing some of the blood clots that are really identified as a problem with COVID-19. And so, as is always the case in research, you answer one question and it raises 100 more. And so we're, we're chasing down the 100 more right now. And the idea is that we can figure out why these blood clots are developing and, and keep them from doing that. That's been one of those really nasty side effects of this virus, isn't it? Absolutely. And so we hope that we can identify targets for, for therapeutics. And in terms of timeline, can you even set yourself a timeline with something like this? Or do you just have to wait until one answer stops spawning 100 questions and only spawns four? So I, I think you know we've already identified some of the mechanisms that that are responsible for clotting. So so that's good good uh, actionable insight there. But I think there's a lot more to be found in the data that we're gathering. And, and again, bringing the breadth of the team that we have uh, under Doug's leadership, uh, ev- everyone brings a different perspective, and that's what makes it strong. So the the, the timeline for something that becomes an actual therapeutic, I'm going to be optimistic and say six months. Really. I love it. Anything that's under a year now sounds sounds great, even six months out. So in six months, put a, a kind of a picture to that. What do you hope to have found or, or what could be used in six months? So in, in an ideal world, I'm also an optimist, by the way, we'll have a vaccine in six months. But for, for our own work in an ideal world, 
six months from now, we would have identified existing therapeutics, existing drugs, like this great story with dexamethasone, right? Cheap drug available all around the world, and it has a real impact. So if we can find similar therapeutics uh, through the work we've done that that are accessible around the world and recommend those for use in patients with, uh, with severe disease, that would be, be a, an absolute win. That would be Eureka. Well, continued yeah. aha moments until then, and here's hoping the Eureka comes, and we really appreciate all the work that you and everybody else on the team is doing. Thanks for kind of sharing the other side of all of this, Dr. Daly. It's, it's been great to get to know you, at least in these last 10 minutes, and uh, I won't take up any more of your time. You've got big work to do. Thanks for this, and keep safe. Thank you so much for the opportunity to chat. That's Dr. Mark Daly. Researcher at Western University and Lawson Health Research Institute and just has started a new job. And we've got to picture it this way because this is how it went. I don't watch a lot of superhero movies, but what are the ones, help me out here, what are the ones where the whole group of them get together? I don't, what are, what are they? The Avengers? Is uh, that, let, that be... Let's go with the Avengers. That, that, okay, that's okay, the one the, I like. The yeah. Avengers. Dr. Daly, thanks for hanging around to, to answer that question. So, yes, yeah, sir. they're like the Avengers. They get together, and this is happening around the world, and the fight is on against COVID-19. And that right there should leave us feeling as optimistic as Dr. We have heard the call for smaller class sizes. And we continue to hear that call. We have heard the concerns of parents and caregivers and teachers on some of the things that they're dealing with. Although, I talked to a teacher yesterday, and you know what I was told? We'll get this done. We'll get through this. It's not normal, but we'll get this done. And that was, that's just, that's great to hear. And that's probably what you would hear from a lot of people who are in that position. We'll find a way to make this work. How about school bus drivers? Because there have to be concerns there. We have had the education minister speaking out a lot about how clean buses are going to be, but he's not cleaning the buses. We have had him speaking out about ventilation on buses by opening windows, but he's not pulling those windows down. He's not operating the bus at the front. So let's find out what maybe bus drivers are feeling right now, because without them, we've got a lot of kids who aren't getting to school and they do a very thankless job all the time this is not an easy job by any means this is incredibly hard and what they have to go through in terms of how they are compensated and the hours they work and what that takes away we need we need to hold more parties for them when this is all over debbie montgomery joins us the president of unifor local 4268 debbie thank you so much for being here Thank you so much, and I thank you for that wonderful summary. And you know what? If you weren't on hold right there, I didn't do it just because you were listening to what I was saying. I say those things other times, too, I promise you, because I was a bus kid when I was younger, and I think back to what Linda had to go through at the front of the bus. Linda Butcher. She had to, sometimes she would pull over and have to stop and talk to the kids. And I don't know if bus travel has changed a little bit, if the kids are maybe more well-behaved. I hope that's the case. But, Debbie, if we're going to look at some of the, the concerns that exist among bus drivers right now, where would you begin as we get closer and closer to the start of school? And that was a very deep sigh. 
we started out with a what we felt were the most pressing concerns for school bus drivers. And, and we, we felt that we, we had really five key needs that needed to be met. And, uh, you know, it's pretty discouraging to say that with school and school bus transportation looming in the very near future, um, there has been uh, some movement very inconsistent across the province and pretty discouraging, and I, I got to say that my phone and my emails are just blowing up because it's getting down to crunch time, and we're not seeing things occurring that are making us feel safe. So there's a lot of panic, and there's actually a lot of people saying, that's it for me, and I, I think we're in for a big surprise. Um, I, I sort of felt, being a bus driver myself for many, many years, that that is what would happen. We spent many months asking many questions and not getting answers. Some drivers retired for the second or third time because of that. But now, as as we're getting down to the crunch, there, there's definitely more and more um, with the stress of this situation that are saying, I don't need this at this time in my life. We ask that uh, proper PPE be given to the drivers. Some of the things we suggested, face masks, shields, gloves, gowns, um, for those of us that are in very close contact with the kids, and, and that's certainly a part of our jobs. Um, when children board a bus, they are literally less than a foot from the driver. So we feel that's pretty important, and not just for the driver's protection, for the kids' protection as well. We know how COVID-19 works. Um, we would like to see some physical distancing on the buses. We would like to see the capacity reduced, at least until we can be sure that we got this. We got this, because we... We really strongly feel this. we can't afford not to get this right for parents, for children, for our community, and for ourselves and our family. Um, so we, we'd like to see some distancing. Um, one thing the government appears to have done is throw a little money at driver retention. Um, there is a, a, an attendance-based program. Um, we asked for adult monitors to assist us as people can only only try to visualize driving down busy streets in rush hour traffic maybe rural rural roads in a snowstorm whatever it may be that we have to do each and every day um we need to concentrate on our job we need to concentrate on operating a very large commercial vehicle and keeping up to 72 children safe each and every day, all by ourselves. No assistance on that bus. Um, we feel that's pretty important. We've also asked, because obviously we're certainly hearing that um, bus capacities will not be reduced. Some boards are, are minimizing, um, but they're certainly not going to be reduced to the standards that we've all come to know over the um, evolution of, of our knowledge of COVID-19, where, you know, six, six feet of distancing or two meters, the wearing of masks, washing of hands, 
this kind of stuff. Um, so we've asked that students wear masks at all times inside the bus. And I would stress that the majority of students are not on the bus for hours and hours. We don't feel this is a, a difficult demand um, or expectation. And we certainly feel with what we know about this d- disease that this will not only protect um, the drivers, it protects the kids as well. Um, so feeling pretty strongly about that right now. No doubt. Now, we're talking with Debbie Montgomery, who is the president of Unifor Local 4268. So, Debbie, in asking for PPE, in making your concerns known about distancing, do you have any answers back? I mean, tick, 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 we're almost there. Do drivers have PPE? Well, the 21-page document that the government put up, put out for guidance, says that school bus drivers will receive medical masks. We're still fighting for that. We do not have confirmation everywhere that this will be provided. Um, We're actually hearing some operators suggest that it might not be mandatory. Um, That is extremely concerning to me. Um, You know, this is an important uh, component. We, We know it won't prevent the disease but it provides certainly a level of protection um that i think is really necessary right now this is a big movement putting kids putting uh, workers in the education system back to work is huge and and we can't afford to get this wrong we cannot well it concerns me that you haven't gotten all the answers and you're exactly right. You can't afford to get it wrong. It has to be right from the beginning. But we're a week away, and or I guess two weeks away, let's say, a little under two weeks away, and you don't have all the answers yet. In my mind, you should have all the answers. You should have all the packages. Everything should be set now, shouldn't it? Ordinarily, drivers would have been well on their way. Uh, about the middle of August, at the latest, they would have been receiving all their packages, um, actually doing a a procedure that we call a dry route, calling parents if that's necessary or or required, Um, practicing so that we, you know, we have a good start to the school year. Uh, We're not even going to have the ability in many cases to do that. And these drivers, I'm hearing more and more the frustration, like the teachers, we want to work. We can do this. We feel we can do this, but give us something to work with. That's the frustration. It's not that we're looking to um, collect another check from the government. People, you know, we're getting kind of bored with that. Um, we we want to work. It, it gives us value. A lot of the people who drive a school bus, um, they're retirees. They, they don't really maybe need to work. They're doing this because they want to do it. But they need to be safe right now. Those are the most vulnerable people. Um, in respect to COVID-19, and they need to be protected. Yeah, well said. Well, Debbie, we really appreciate you giving this side of things, and here's hoping that you get the answers that you need, and I'm sure we'll be talking in the future, and I hope we're talking about the fact that everybody got it right. Debbie, thanks for the time. Thank you. That's Debbie Montgomery. So there you have it. They should be going through dry runs. They should not be wondering, oh, are we getting anything more than a mask? 
Do we have bus routes reduced? Do we have any of that? That shouldn't be a thing right now. Shouldn't be. But it sounds like it is. You've been listening to the London Live Podcast. Catch the show live on weekdays from 1 to 3.